Welcome to Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. And today we are going to enter into our systematic theology again, uh, and we're going to discuss the Lord's Supper. Um, before we do it, just a quick little update. Uh, Matt's been gone while I was conducting the various interviews, and uh, you've got a little boy. I do. Little James Lewis. The dude is the cutest little guy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's now, uh, he's already over two weeks old. That's hard to believe. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But he's doing well. Sleeping through the night yet? Uh, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you? I don't know. I gotta, hey, I got, I got to get on it. I got a podcast that teaches you all about that. Yeah. I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's sketchy. Yeah. Apparently, you're now the parenting guru. Yeah, that's me. It's turned into the parenting podcast. How many episodes was that? Like 20? I don't know, but based on the state of our country, we yeah, should do well, more. Not a bad thing. Yeah, sure. um, we actually want to, we even plan on answering some questions. Uh, a few of the questions were with special needs kids. So we're before we just start talking about that, we're getting some counsel from some people we trust that hopefully will help us. So we do expect to answer some of those, those of you that sent those questions in. Don't think we've ignored you. We just want to do, treat you with respect and wisdom. So yeah, yeah. we also have something else bouncing around. Uh, you and I just had lunch, drove by the courthouse, and what'd you see? Uh, well, there an unbelievable amount of media. The Civic, is it called Civic Park? Uh, I right think so. Right across the street there. Whole things filled up with cameras, news trucks, lights, uh, places just swarming. And the the steps, when I came in, I actually drove right past the courthouse and there were quite a few people yeah. already um, demonstrating on the steps. And then after lunch, when we drove by, there were a lot more. Oh, there were. So, I drove by purposely after we met to see what you'd seen. Yeah. So we have the Kyle Rittenhouse trial and their jury is right now deliberating. As we speak. And... It's, it's shocking. I mean, once again, little Kenosha, and we are on the lips of the president, every major media person. Um, I think if Rittenhouse is found not guilty, um, which I personally think he should be, um, if, if you don't agree with us, we would say go uh, and watch the trial. It's all been recorded, um, and and you can cut through all of the stuff that people are saying. I, I mean, well, he, he had a gun, he illegally crossed state lines with it, blah, blah, blah. None of that's correct, true, factual. Um, you almost picture him like being sh driven up by his mother from Alabama or something. People don't realize Antioch is, I mean, it's right on the state line. Yeah. So it takes you, if you're walking, depending on what part of Antioch, Five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, his dad lives here in Croatia. Right. He works here in Croatia. Right. This is his community just as much as anyone else. And uh, But yeah, the judge threw out the gun charge because, in fact, it didn't meet any of the uh, criteria. Um, but we both believe he's innocent. Um, and But regardless of that, it seems that the the threat is if he's found guilty, there's not going to be rioting. Um, but if he's found not guilty, we're expecting because if if it was not under the scrutiny, well, let I'll ask it in a way of question. If would what do you think if it wasn't under the scrutiny of the national media 
regardless of outcome, what do you think the reaction would be? As opposed to now, all the nation is watching this. Yeah. Well, as we were talking at lunch, I mean, I think the major networks want a not guilty verdict. Yeah. So that they can just cover this, push agendas, create narratives. Uh, It's good business. Well, and and I think even our federal government, at least, would like it because it can divert the attention off of inflation um, yeah. uh, and many, many other things that are oh, going absolutely. just yeah. maniacally bad in our current administration. But that's for another day. So we're right now currently watching and waiting. Um, I'm glad I don't live down there anymore. <laughs> yeah. I you mean, either. people, if you, if you didn't know, um, both of us lived down there. I literally was, from my house, there were, you were in between both shootings. Yeah. And one, but just one, literally one or two blocks one, west. Yeah. And not only that, but if they listen to the, sh- uh, the video or watch the video, they'll hear the one shot that precipitated all of it by, uh, I think Zeminsky was his name. Um, and then the four quick shots in under a second that uh, Kyle. Rittenhouse did, which killed Rosenbaum. Mm-hmm. And then immediately after that, a flurry of other shots. That was my house, literally right there. Yeah. That's where all of those shots were going. And those were all rifles too. And um, that was not by white supremacist m- militia. Yeah. <laughs> that was by the protesters. And so it, yeah, that, that was crazy. All of those fires you see, they were either just a few blocks up from us both, or uh, some of the other major fires were literally three houses from well, me. Well, I mean, I, I remember laying in bed and hearing cars blowing up. Yep. And I had a memory pop up on my phone. Remember the next day after the Rittenhouse stuff, um, you and I walked down, yeah. which was a block over, and went into that car lot source, car source one lot, where all the media was. And so on my phone, it popped up. The, I had a video of that. And what's his face was there? The Jesse Jackson. Jesse Jackson. Yep. Um, and then uh, I had a picture of the chalk line yep. of the blood spots. Yep. Yeah. Fun time. So uh, <laughs> now our little town is right back in the mix of it. And we'll, we're all kind of just waiting. And if it, depending on how it does, we may do another podcast or two on it yeah. just to talk. It's a little cold out today. So hopefully that'll deter. Yeah. What's dis- depressing, though, is the number of uh, pastors weighing in on this, and, and their comments reflect just absolute ignorance of the actual facts of the case. Um, but I will say it's very interesting listening to commentators on both sides, uh, even ones I enjoy, like uh, Michael Knowles, um, who's part of like Shapiro's crew. I don't know. Um, who I, I very much enjoy. But I'm even listening to him talk, and I'm— like you have, I don't agree with your overall point or disagree with your overall point, but many of the statements you're saying are just hmm. not true because he's so far removed. So it's interesting when you're actually in it and you're there, you realize yeah. there's just so much information that's left out. Yeah. And there's a narrative yeah. that's being pushed. Yep. So with all that, what what are we going to do? We're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. <laughs> We're going to uh, yeah. something with eternal perspective rather than 
short term. So uh, we need to do an episode, though, on the nature of the Lord's Supper. Um, that was actually supposed to be done at the same time we dealt with the topic of baptism, but it, we didn't. Um, we did give a historical account of the development of the issue of the sacraments, and as a result, we talked about the idea of consubstantiation uh, because of a great comment raised by a Lutheran listener in Las Vegas. Um, but we then somehow, that's my fault because I'm writing these, um, we somehow forgot to actually teach on the actual doctrine and practice known as the Lord's Supper. So with that, we're going to correct that oversight and we're going to jump right in. Take yeah. it away, Matt. So first of all, uh, the Lord's Supper is something that was instituted by Christ himself, and he did it on the night of his arrest, um, right before his death. And he used, actually, they're the setting of the Feast of the Passover uh, in Jewish culture to institute the Lord's Supper, which um, would be a memorial of his death. Um, and that event is recorded um, by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Paul. Uh, so here's what, um, when you put them all together, what they say. And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is the, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And then Paul in first Corinthians 11 23 through 29 picks us up and says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. All right, so... All we're making, our only point in that is it, it, it was instituted by Christ. It's not something that's optional. He, he, he places. Uh, so how did the early church practice it? Well, again, we're just going to read some quick passages all out of Acts. In Acts 2.42, it says that they, meaning the new church, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then uh, in Acts 2.46, it goes on, And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. And then finally, at the end of Acts, in Acts 20, verse 7, And on the first day of the week, um, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. So, again, um, the, it seemed that the early church, that was just part of what they did. When they gathered, they remembered the death of Christ. Yeah. Now, the question is, what, what is the primary meaning, then, of the Lord's Supper? Uh, why do we even do this? Well, we would say it's to remember Christ. Uh, that simple. Jesus explicitly states it there. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Um, so it's, it's worth noting that the command uh, in these passages that 
we read is is that it's do this in remembrance of me. Um, too often, that's though something that's overlooked because of all the theological baggage that's typically attached to this practice and doctrine. So, for example, Roman Catholic, uh, their view of of this is transubstantiation, which is a real literal presence. Of, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, right? Jesus in there, um, but that goes way beyond what the Bible teaches. In fact, that is something that's more relying upon Aristotelian philosophy rather than the biblical text itself. Uh, Luther's view, which we refer to as consubstantiation, though we understand that many Lutherans don't like to use that word. We've addressed that. Um, uh, you know, but that there speaks of real presence. And the way that it's phrased is uh, Jesus is in, with, and under the elements um, in some way. But that doesn't have any biblical authority or support, we right. would argue. Um, rather, it reflects how Luther was at, not actually fully able to separate himself from Roman Catholic theology and the church in, in his own life. Uh, and it also reflects that in some way the body of Christ is held up as a sacrifice each time. Yeah, not to the same degree, transubstantiation, but if, if he's in, around, and under the actual physical elements, then in some way he's being offered up as a sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the point in keeping this ordinance is that we're called to remember. That, that's the bottom line. So remember his death, remember what his death has accomplished. We're to remember that we're now partakers of this new covenant that was purchased in his blood there. Remember that he rose again. Remember he's coming back. And remember also that he will rule in the kingdom of God. I, as, as we write our scripts um, for our Lord's Supper, because our, both our churches remember the Lord's Supper every week, uh, that's actually one of the things I enjoyed is early on as I started doing that, I had a fairly weak sense of what the what was involved in the Lord's Supper. But as more and more I wrote, I began to realize there's a lot that we're remembering. It's not just that he died, but you know, there's all of that, the fullness of the gospel, death, burial, resurrection, and return, if you will, is all built into our remembrance. It's it's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, all right. So now closely related to this, this idea of remembering is that with the Lord's Supper, there's also a communion of believers in the unity of Christ's body. So we see that in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, where Paul is writing, is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing, and that's key, a sharing in the blood of Christ, is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Now, the word there for sharing is a key term. It's the term koinonia. It's a very rich term we use for community, fellowship, participation, and such. Now, we tend to make fellowship, when we talk about that, something that you, we'll do over food or coffee, uh, where we talk about this or that. In fact, we used to have a room in our church called the fellowship hall, and that's where you always did your potlucks. Yeah. Um, but this is actually, uh, fellowship is much more than that. And so when you talk about koinonia, it's actually a very rich one, but we don't grasp that we think uh, we are lacking. We, we don't grasp the richness of the term, and as a result, we'll hear people say, well, I, I, I just don't have the fellowship I feel like I need, when oftentimes, actually, we're participating in more fellowship than we realize if we only have a biblical sense of what fellowship actually is designed to be. So... What I mean by that is that when the church gathers, they together remember the Lord. 
it, it's a time that we remind ourselves as a body who Jesus is and what he did. That's fellowship. What, so when we take the bread and we take the cup together, what we're doing is we do these things together, and in doing so, we actually have fellowship. Whether you feel like that fellowship is separate, yeah. we're actually sharing in this. And so what you're doing is together we raise up the bread and the cup in rebellion against the lies of this age. Uh, we, we as a church together uh, announce that we have a different hope, an eternal hope, and we actually end up declaring in both word and deed that we follow a different Lord. Yeah. Um, so then what are some of the prerequisites of the Lord's Supper? Uh, some some of these don't have formal support from direct passages. Um, rather, there's more applications based off of the purposes of the Lord's Supper. But first of all, first and foremost, uh, one of the prerequisites is that you must have salvation. Um, you, you have to be a Christian. <laughs> you have to make profession of faith in Christ and believe the gospel. Uh, and But then second, uh, we would say you should be a baptized person. By the way, uh not everyone agrees with that. I, I know Doug Wilson doesn't. Uh, he thinks that the Lord's Supper is instituted for believer and unbeliever alike. Um, is it and means of grace or something? He, he No, he argues from, and, and I've thought about this a lot, he argues because in the institution of it, Judas was present. And he didn't wait for him to leave and then have it. And so he argues that even uh, even... The unbeliever is to do it, but they do it in judgment against themselves. They just don't know it. I think he's going way beyond the narrative there, though. Uh, yeah. I, I understand that, and so I, I wouldn't hate him for it. I just don't think so. Anyhow, and 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 I'll let you develop. You know, you you, you said salvation and baptism are prerequisites, right? Yeah. Um, and why would we say that? Well, first of all, we're we're commanded to prepare our own hearts, and then also. Uh, be aware of our own conduct and therefore give a self-examination. Paul gives that instruction in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. Also, the Lord's Supper is a proclamation of the death of Jesus until he comes again. Uh, again, Paul, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-six. So you're actually declaring something, you're proclaiming yeah, something yeah. there, uh, which presumes you believe it. Uh, finally, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, the chapter earlier, that we are sharing in the death of Christ, because he's dealing with issues of unity there. Right, right. But so he picks up on the Lord's Supper to sort of push forward his point. Um, none of that makes sense for an unbeliever to participate in. Um, and to do otherwise actually seems to encourage them to think that they're either fine with God or that this is a work that conveys grace or favor with God in some way. Yeah, so we, we, we would be very adamant about that. Now, we don't police it. We don't make each person come up and... Uh, right, confess Christ. Right, uh, we we but we always give that warning. If you're not a believer, this is not for you. We want you to observe it, consider what you see happening. Yeah, um, but we, I think we've said in past we view the Lord's Supper as that initiatory rite, R I T E. Yeah, I'm sorry, baptism as that initiatory rite. Yes, but then the ongoing rite for the church now is that Lord's Supper. Absolutely. Again, presuming you're a saved. Person. Yeah, then Mark Dever, I think he argues church membership is a backdoor. Okay. Um, by by then joining the church intentionally that this is my body, that's how you retain. So you enter the church universal, but also a local body through your profession. 
the back door keeps you in is through membership that you commit yourself to that body. But then the ongoing fellowship of the saints is bound up in that act of, well, one of the acts is through the remembrance of the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Um, so with that, we can then talk about what we don't see with the Lord's Supper. Uh, first of all, we don't see anywhere the elements of the bread and wine actually becoming the body and blood of Christ, um, which is transubstantiation. Uh, we, we don't see Jesus somehow descending from heaven physically to become or to indwell those elements, again, transubstantiation and... In, with, under, by. Yeah, and consubstantiation. Yeah. And again, if you don't like that word, fine, but though we acknowledge that, we made a very persuasive argument as it, it, it fits. It fits uh, what... It's a single word to define what you're trying to say uh, in the Lutheran theology. Nor do we see the Bible teaching that it was a sacrifice that's being offered because the sacrifice of Christ has already been made. That's a finished work. It's a once for all time. Um, and yeah, so those are the three things that we don't see taught. Yeah, there, there is a, another one. There, there's also, uh, so Luther, uh, Luther's view is a real presence, but then there's also real spiritual presence, which I believe is Calvin's view. We, we um, actually, I deal with that. Oh, then I'll hold off. And I, I make it, I, and I'm going to make the argument that there is an aspect of that. Okay. So you'll see how I deal with that. Um, okay. Well, then let me give some warnings here that are uh, connected with the Lord's Supper. First of all, uh, mixing fellowship with the Lord and fellowship with demons. <laughs> so for, for, Don't do that. I know you, sh you all struggle with this one so much, but um, actually they do. Yeah, they just don't I understand. Know they do. <laughs> um, first, first Corinthians 10, 14 through 22, Paul there says, therefore, my beloved flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, you judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not these who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? Um, well, he likes rhetorical statements, yeah. doesn't he? Um, so when, when one participates in a feast or celebration of someone, uh, they are actually joined in fellowship with that entity uh, and others who are worshiping that particular entity. Uh, and so the warning here is that one cannot partake in a pagan feast and in the Lord's Supper. Uh, that actually invites harsh discipline from the Lord. So mixing these two activities, uh, this comes from uh, Dr. Greg Allison. He says, mixing these two activities is lethally idolatrous because of the presence of demons in the case of pagan banquets and the presence of Christ in the case of the Lord's Supper. The jealous Lord who is present in the ordinance will not tolerate his people engaging in pagan rites in which are pr present uh, his arch enemies, the demons. Uh, so this is a key passage uh, in the Reformed tradition to discuss what's called um, 
spiritual presence. Yes. <laughs> in communion. Hence. <laughs> okay. I dealt with it. There we are. Okay. So, uh, next thing is partaking in the Lord's Supper while divisiveness is taking place. So, the first warning is we don't want to be partaking of the, uh, of the Lord's Supper and also those things that belong to the demonic realm. But the second thing is partaking in the Lord's Supper while divisiveness is taking place. That's found in 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 22, and 27 to 34. Uh, he, he actually makes it clear that this can lead to discipline from the Lord, either through sickness or in death. So I'm going to read those passages. It's interesting how much time he takes up uh, in writing this warning, and it, it should make us all pause. So, in giving this instruction, Paul writes, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, in order that those who are approved may become evident among you. That's actually something we, Matt and I plan yeah. to talk about. It's a fascinating passage. Let me read it to you again and just hear what he says. For there must, must also be factions among you, in order that those who are approved may have become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. And then he goes on. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep, which is a euphemism for death. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we should not, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you may not come together for judgment. And the remaining matters I shall arrange when I come. Now, the central sin here is not just that you swore or you got drunk or you committed adultery in your heart. By the way, that's how I grew up thinking is we're supposed to examine ourselves. And, and, it, and it becomes miserable because you're trying desperately yeah. to remember all the sins you may have forgotten to confess because you don't want to get sick or die. Um, and as I began to, again, write our scripts and, and all, it, I began to realize, no, this is actually all about unity. So we warn mm -hmm. our church every week, look, if you have something where you have not sought to be reconciled with a brother, um, don't take it. Instead, be reconciled to the best of your ability. Sometimes you can't, but you, if, if, if I sinned against Matt Miller and there's a, there's animosity between us, and I've not yet sought to be reconciled, or he has not sought yet, we should let the cup pass. Um, but if I've sought Matt Miller, and he wants to be a jerk, I'll make him the jerk, um, and he, he's like, yeah, I'm not forgiving you. My conscience is clear. I've sought it. I can now take the Lord's Supper. He can't, though. Um, and and it, the return, the same would be reciprocated. And that really gives you a lot of release. Uh, 
you're struggling in your life, you're sinning, all of that, the Lord suffers for you. It's to remind you that exactly. all sin has been yeah. covered in Christ. You need to take that. But what I know is I know people who have not taken or they've come to me and said, I haven't had the Lord's Supper in a couple of years. And it's like, why? Well, I, I still feel like there's sin that I've forgotten. They're actually back in the problem of Luther <laughs> before he came to faith, where he's trying to confess all his sin and annoying everybody with it. Um, but they, they have no animosity toward another person, nor is any against them. Um, so it's just very important that they understand the central sin is not that you swore, you got drunk, or you committed adultery sometime in the last week. It's actually a sin that is breaking unity with other believers. Uh, it's exalting my wants over the others. It's not dealing with the body of Christ out of a heart of love. That is what you forsake. You say, I'm not going to take this because I need to make right. So we are convinced that this occurs, though, actually a lot more than many realize. So there's people who are sick in our churches in our country who don't even understand that they're under his judgment because they, they, don't, they don't care one whit about um, unity. I mean, they're just bitter toward one another and they, they leave the church and they go find a new church and they're just, but they've never sought to be reconciled. And so we would actually argue that this is this reality of becoming sick or even dying is more common than we like to think, um, but enough. Yeah. So, um, with that data there that you've just heard and that we've talked about here, uh, let us just ask a few different questions about this doctrine. First of all, is this is this is the biblical text that we've rehearsed here consistent with transubstantiation? We would say no. There's nothing in there about the elements be literally becoming the right. body and blood of Christ. Uh, what about consubstantiation or the Lutheran view? We would say no. There's also nothing there about Jesus being in with under the elements. What about spiritual presence? Uh, we may say partially. Um, and then what about the memorial view where it's, it's merely not, that's a wrong word. I know. Uh, it's simply remembrance, simply remembering. Yeah. Um, we would then say they're partially. Um, so, so the memorial view seems closest with the truth, but it's not quite enough. Uh, it is the central command First um, Corinthians ten fourteen through twenty two that seems to indicate there is a real participation with the Lord happening in the Lord's Supper that's more than just memorial. Yeah, so there's that sharing, that fellowship, and, yeah. and that it it seems to show more. And I actually changed my position on this. And I'm sorry, you. I'm reading this. Yeah, yeah, like you apparently like, did change your position. <laughs> yeah, because we've always yeah. argued in the past, and and you may or may not agree with me, but. Since I wrote the script, I wrote. Um, Apparently, this is what we hold to, right? <laughs> I'm learning to, what we hold to just yes. now. <laughs> Welcome to theology in the moment. Um, it, the memorial view is the thing that's key, yeah, because that's that's a command. But in First Corinthians 10, he does talk about the idea that there's a sharing. Uh, in this cup, and we're sharing with, and there that fellowship is not just with one another, but we're fellowshipping with Christ in that sense. So that's the idea that, in some sense, uh, there's this presence of Christ that we're we're together as a body, acknowledging that He's our Lord, and there's this communion. Yeah. I don't want to take it too far. Some people, I think, go way. That's why I, I worded it partially, yeah. partially. Yeah, because strictly the. Um so, so Luther held to the real 
presence of Lord's Supper. Right. Uh, Calvin, I believe, is the one who first yes. started talking about yes. the real spiritual presence. And he actually would argue that in some way, during the moment of Lord's Supper, as you're taking these elements, you are mystically transported up to yes. be with Christ, where he is right now seated at the right hand of the Father. And in and through that, you're receiving in some way grace. Which we would not agree with. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that you <laughs> We do not, but but there is that fellowship. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. It, it it does something, otherwise we wouldn't do it. Right. Right? Right. So yeah, It's not just this external act of just, right. and we're, okay, we did it. So. Um, yeah, so let, uh, let me close out then by uh, asking how Christ is related then to the Lord's Supper. And here, listen to Greg Allison's words again. He says, included... Um, yeah, this comes from his Sojourners and Strangers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, excellent book. He says, included in this understanding is the ontological claim about Christ's presence in observance of the Lord's Supper, a presence that is neither mysterious nor magical, but is grounded on the divine attribute of omnipresence. Applying this discussion, my claim embraces both the ontological presence of Christ in observations of the Lord's Supper, as well as the particular manifestation of his covenantal presence. Number one, to bless proper celebrations of the new covenant ordinance of the Lord's Supper, and two, to judge improper celebrations of it as exemplified in the Lord's retribution against the divided Corinthians. As Christ promised his spiritual presence to accompany his church as it carries out the Great Commission and as it engages in church discipline, so too the Savior of all of the salvific benefits associated with his sacrificial death are present in celebrations of the Lord's Supper. That's a long sentence. <laughs> that is classic Allison <laughs> yeah, right there. Uh, well, you yeah. had him, right? Yeah, he's one of my absolute favorite professors. Yeah. Uh, he, and then he goes on, physically, the glorified Lord is seated at the right hand of the Father as the ascended one. He is not present here in his human nature, and he will remain absent from the earth until his second advent. Um, so, it, it, that's important too, because Jesus says, I will not drink again with right. you until that day. So, there's a sense in which, yeah, you fellowship with him, but not fully, right? Right. Um, it, but it's an anticipation. We together yes. are saying... He died for us. He rose again, and we're gonna we're gonna see him, and we will share in this Passover. It's really cool. There will be a Passover, yeah, and it will remember our Lord, but it won't be remembering anymore. Yeah. It will be there. He is. We raise our cup to you. <laughs> this is cool. Yeah, he's he's the one where I learned the word proleptic. Um, oh, really? Yeah, which is you know the idea of looking forward and. That's essentially what this Lord's Supper is doing. I hated right? that word. I had to look it up every time it was mentioned in seminar. I'm like, where's my little dictionary again? <laughs> I, could, I couldn't keep it in my brain to save my life. Yeah. Well, that's also in a Greek, advanced Greek grammar, I, I believe, because that's where I always was hearing it. Proleptic? Yeah, that this is stated in a proleptic manner. I'm like, oh, crud, what's that mean again? Oh, yeah. I don't know. You, you're the guy that took advanced Greek grammar. Yeah, aspectival perspectives. Never mind. Um, so, so there's the Lord's Supper. We so we do. <laughs> we hope this helped you in some small way to enjoy and to participate in this vital part of the Christian fellowship. So we would say, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. We would love to hear your thoughts on the Lord's Supper, and don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell a friend. Mm -hmm.